0: Live online and on your mobile. This this, this is DCU FM News.
1: Hi everyone and welcome back to Newswire. I'm Kira Lochlin and I'm joined today by Anya O'Boyle and Dara Brown.
2: On today's show we'll be talking to DCU's VP-, VP for Welfare and Equality, Ashling Fagan and Doctor Tracy Harrington about the This Is Not Consent rallies. We will be reporting on recent news that the public will be banned from tweeting and texting in Irish courts and we will be giving the lowdown on last night's rag rumble. But first we have our hourly news bulletin. The Department of Housing
1: fears increased immigration after Brexit could exacerbate homelessness in Ireland. The Dublin Regional Homelessness Executive has set up a team to prepare for Brexit in the part of the Republic where demand and prices are the highest. The director of Dublin's Rape Crisis Centre, Nolene Blackwell, believes a change in the mindset around what constitutes rape in Ireland society is needed, as well as a change in legislation. Blackwell was commenting on calls for changes in the Irish justice system and the way rape trials are investigated in the Republic of Ireland, and a recommendation by retired senior judge Sir John Gillen that the public be excluded from rape trials in Northern Ireland. A Brussels police officer was injured in a knife attack in front of the city's main police station. The attack took place on the second day of a state visit to Belgium by French President Emmanuel Macron, with memories of the Paris and Brussels attacks running high. Airbnb has said it will remove settlement homes in the occupied West Bank from its rental listings, prompting Israel to threaten legal action against the U.S. company. An evaluation by Airbnb concluded that they should remove listings in Israeli settlements in the occupied West Bank that are, that are at the core of the dispute between Israelis and Palestinians. And finally, a royal insider has revealed that Queen Elizabeth of England was unhappy with Meghan Markle's wedding dress. While the dress was too simple for some, the Queen allegedly, allegedly expressed surprise that Meghan chose a white dress. That's all the news for now. Weather is next. heavy rains this afternoon with temperatures at 7 degrees Celsius. That's all for now. Remember you can keep up to date with us on Facebook and Twitter at DCUFM News.
2: There have been recent protests throughout Ireland after a recent trial took place in Dublin where a defence lawyer used an alleged rape victim's underwear to argue that the teenage girl had consented to sex. Protests and campaigns began after the man on trial was acquitted. The protests have been happening in the cities of Dublin, Cork and Limerick. I asked VP for Welfare and Equality, Ashling Fagan, and Dr. Tracy Harrington, lecturer in Children's and General Nursing in DCU, their opinions on consent and the recent events that have taken place.
3: Um, yeah, I definitely think there does need to be more awareness about what consent actually is. Um, I think, in general, we need a massive culture change. Like, I think. Um, I think what's being done at the minute is good, but we need a lot more. It's still a massive, massive, massive issue, and this is just a small step in kind of combating the problem because it is a massive, massive, massive national issue. I think at the minute, international, but um, I think in Ireland in particular, actually no, worldwide, we need a complete culture change and a culture shift in the way that we think, um, and that kind of starts with like proper education in what consent is and proper sexual education as well. And I think that needs to start in second level. Um, it's not good enough starting it when you're coming into college and you're 18. Like you need to start getting this information um, much, much younger. So I think definitely bringing this kind of education to second level is is where is something that can be done. Yeah, we're looking into holding more in semester two. Um, so at the, at the minute, we are organizing some for this semester, but it's for the Student Union Executive. So that's um, all 20 of the sabbaths and part-time officers, although half of them were already trained fa- facilitators for Smart Conscience, so half of them already know, but still to get everyone covered. And then in semester two, we're planning on holding more. We don't know any exact dates or anything at the minute, so it's still all kind of looking into it, but um, more than likely there definitely will be. I think do your research, pay attention, be self-aware. Um, it's really not, it's not that difficult to understand. So if people kind of look into it a bit, um, read up about it kind of read the you know the kind of couple of cases that have been going on in the last while they definitely highlight um do's and don'ts and what is and isn't consent and um, I think a lot of people are talking about it and um, so have the conversations listen up they can be quite hard but I think um even having conversations with friends or family or with the people around you I think is definitely a good way to um to educate yourself and yeah, I think generally being more more self-aware and aware in general would,
4: would help. Yes, happy to. Um, I've known uh, Professor, uh, Dr. Siobhan uh, Higgins for a number of years, and she let me know that they were doing consent workshops. So we, we decided last year to pilot them in 2017, and they were so successful. We didn't make them compulsory, we just kind of uh, informed first-years coming in that there were workshops on and they were welcome to attend, and they attended so good, but it was predominantly female. Um, so this year then, they, we, we brought the review and evaluation forms to TCU and they decided to incorporate uh, workshops as part of the orientation, so they were much more successfully up, uh, taken up this year because they were much more on the radar. Um, and again, really, really good feedback. Actually, one of, the, one of the lovely messages I got was that not only had the workshop been really helpful for one of the guys, because he's just in a new relationship, so it gave him a greater understanding of, of how important it is for good communication, he also said it was an opportunity to make, meet a new person and make a new friend. So that was really, really, really uh, positive impact of the workshops itself, as well as raising the awareness in terms of consent. I think there really are, uh, because they're they're small groups, um, and so it means that people are more comfortable. They'll engage. They'll, and they're not the they're, they're the purpose of them is to, you know, open the discussion, uh, allow people to come up with their own opinions and decisions, but make them aware of the legal case, um, the grey areas, um, what is involved in the consent. It's not merely somebody. Agreeing or disagreeing, it's it's what, it's an ongoing, and that, that both people are, are willing and engaged and freely given as well. So we have we had really heated discussions, and it was very very good because you're not trying to enforce your opinions on anybody. You're you're trying to get people thinking about their actions and the consequences of their actions, which is, I think is really critical. Absolutely, there needs to be more awareness. Um, I have spoke when you speak. The, the students in, in DCU themselves that engaged in the workshop, they actually said it needed to be done in second level. Um, and I've currently been just, uh, I've been doing uh, workshops, not work, uh, sex ed, um, within, in girls' schools, and I brought up the idea of consent. And they were actually saying that it needs to be, it needs to be started, the conversation needs to be started in first years before they start going to disco. Um, I got one very, really emotive feedback from one of the students, all anonymised, and they said, I learnt I could say no, which which is a very stinging remark, I think, that the girl felt that she could actually say no, um, in terms of peer pressure and what was socially expected of them. Um, so I actually think it, need, it really needs to start in primary school at an age-appropriate level and be threaded through the whole theme in secondary school and then re-emphasized in third level because they're young adults, so hopefully if they have the message, then they're not going to be putting themselves in risky situations or have an understanding of what it, it entails or involves as such. The consequences are huge for both, um, so I think it's really, really important, good communication. And anyway, the whole idea of sexuality it should be much more open and much more just easily discussed so if, if people are comfortable, then they'll be more comfortable communicating communicate about. Are you happy? Are you, you know, you comfortable? Are you know, is this moving okay at your pace? That's really important for good, healthy sexual relationship, and for long-term relationship. So if you don't have people coming back in their fifties and sixties having problems associated with poor, you know, sexual decisions that they made in college. Things like that is really important. I personally don't think that it should be compulsory. I think people should have the decision, they should be made, able to make informed decisions to go or not to go. I think if they're if they're facilitated in such a way that they're positive, that, you know, you know, I don't, uh, we're, Siobhan and Podrick McAnila, it's all into sex-positive approach, so it's not a disciplinary approach to, you know, the workshop. So I think if people hear that they're good, they're informative, you, you know, they're more likely to attend I um I think the option to attend them at different times of the year would be ideal. They are hugely work um uh what's it called um it's not time consuming um because it's all done on a voluntary basis um so they may we may have to look at other ways of managing it um part of the um, discussion on consent was also about bystanders um and that is a hugely Important area to be covered as well, because if you see something that you're not comfortable with, say one of your friends getting into trouble, what you need to do in, in, as a bystander is also really critical. Because most people know it's 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 good to it's it's necessary to ask or to make sure you have consent. But it's when you see situations and you're uncomfortable about what to do is also critical. So I think if we've covered consent in primary school and secondary school, then you know, discussing what you do if you come across a situation like as a bystander what your role is as well so I think in the future once we have educated second level and uh, primary school then third level is all about you know how to deal with situations um, most of the students actually don't didn't have the, don't have the words to know to say and they know, to know that it's okay to say no it's okay that they don't have to do things they're not comfortable with and then I think it's really important for young women and young men to you know that pleasure is for both. And if it, 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 the pressure then is eased, if both people are, are enjoying and comfortable and happy in the situation and not nobody is feeling pressurised into doing something they don't want to do, but they think all their friends are doing. So it, it, it's a huge conversation. I don't think it can simply be fixed in workshops, but the workshops have been brilliant, I think, because at least if it didn't get conversations going in, in the pubs in, in sports centers and it, it's it's highlighting the issue which is really really crucial. This is a time for it's a hundred years since we got the vote. It, things are progressing definitely in a positive direction, but we need um, a very proactive approach to changing opinions and uh, outlooks and you know giving giving girls the confidence and young women the confidence and young men to say no I'm not happy with this it's really cru- critical. They don't get it, unfortunately, at home and they don't get it. Um, some of them do. Some of them have great confidence. But you'll have others who won't want to talk about anything related to sex with their parents, which is understandable. Um, but where are they going to get that information from? They need It needs to come from a, a trusted adult, somebody they can relate to. And I don't know where that starts, but probably in primary school if possible. I think that it is, it is definitely part of the orientation program for all first years, um, which is brilliant um they've they've seen the value of the workshops so they're very keen to keep them on um uh, keep them going um which is wonderful and so it's a testament to all of the facilitators that participated and don't forget the majority of the facilitators are students and staff who've done the training so i i think that's that's the key winning element of it is that students facilitating workshops in relation to areas that they're, that they're it's close to their own heart. So it's really, really good. So it's students educating other students, so young people's voices are being heard and, and discussed. Um, so it, it, it's up to the, of course, students to volunteer to do facilitation, and they've done it with such gusto, and it's a brilliant, very inspiring. And I'm hoping that absolutely it will continue for a very long time, as long as it's required. Um, DCU have embraced it, which is good. Well, juries are supposed to be chosen um, by both teams as well, actually. Yeah, isn't it? I'm not really 100% sure of how they get chosen, but they're supposed to be unbiased and open. Um, and you would hope that, you know, it, I think um, the men, a lot of men as well, are, are, are very angry about what's happened to women because you could even see that in the last March when the Ulster rape trials. It wasn't just women. marching about the um, the victim blaming it was was men too so I don't think all juries have to be generally gender uh, uh, evenly distributed it would be ideal in the ideal situation one would hope that the men were educated and knowledgeable themselves and it wouldn't bring their own bias into it but uh, culture changes take a long time you know some women actually think well provocatively and putting herself at risk it's her fault, so that change—that has to change, that was, that's another thing that really worries me, that women themselves believe that perhaps there, were, there was an element of blame because of what she was wearing so it's not just men it's not just men's views that have to be challenged, it's also women's views and a lot of women won't even discuss that openly but that's what they think which is really, really scary so I'm trying to create a, a Younger people, that this is absolutely not the way. Um, and any time I talk to women, young women, I challenge them and say they must also, you know, be fearless girls and grow into fearless women, just like that lovely statue that came from New York, um, yeah. like that be the epiphany. But hopefully, men need to work together with women because not men don't want to be classified as a potential rapists either. Like there's a lot of lot of good men in the world, so they but they need to be able to stand up for. Women and not be intimidated, possibly by the by their their own peers, you know. Um, So there's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot of a change required still. But it is disappointing. I I was very disappointed with the result. I was also very disappointed to hear that the female barrister brought the young woman's underwear into the courtroom. I unfortunately think it absolutely is Um, what she was wearing, how drunk she was what, yes, um, I even, I can, yes, I, I know for a fact that a that lot of the mothers I've spoken to who have got daughters um, would, would regard that, well, not all of them, but some of them would have felt that she was maybe putting herself in, at risk, it shouldn't matter what you wear, you should be able to wear what you want, be where you are, you know, be safe wherever you are. Of of being uh, provocative enough to have yourself assaulted, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous statement. Victims are victims, and um, you can't blame them. It's intimidating enough to go to a prosecutor to to um, present to, to the guards to plead your case, then to have to go through and be blamed for what you were. I think it's totally demoralizing and incorrect. If if the person is, is, is found not guilty because they didn't do the act, that's one thing. But to suggest that the victim brought it upon themselves because of what they were wearing it was absolutely highly inflammatory and, and, and so destroying and, and ridiculous statements to make. So I think that has absolutely has to change. The, the only person to blame is the person who carries out the act, not the person not not nothing to do with what the person is wearing or how much they've drunk. And that's what I also put um discuss if I'm ever talking to young people about consent it's a very funny one I think um, the workshops are brilliant um, and I think discussing with uh, young people as I say I think primary school discussions should start I think parents should discuss their children um, as as, as soon as they can say in the Netherlands where um, they educate children in primary school and they use all the correct terminology and they discuss sex from every aspect of sex so it's not taboo they get lower rates they got lower rates of teenage pregnancies, and actually, um, uh, there. I think there's this uh, direct correlation between education and uh, positive sexual health and outcomes, which which says speaks volumes. So I think if Ireland is to change its approach, I think education from very young age is really really important. But also, preparing parents on how to deal with tricky situations and difficult subjects is crucial. With how you get further education, I think just being open to the discussions, um, having debates with friends, but also I think there there is a need possibly for doing your own like for further education. I'm you know considering developing. Yeah, I think um, I think attending workshops, I think reading up, I think being open and but discussing it with your friends know, getting their point of view and, and trying to, you know, trying to get the, merge the gap between what uh, you think other people think and what you think, and keeping your mind as open and as broad as possible for discussion.
1: The public will be banned from tweeting and texting in Irish courts. Only bona fide journalists and lawyers may report, message or tweet live from court cases, according to the Chief Justice. The new practice will be effective from the 24th of November and will apply to all courts in the Republic of Ireland. It is aimed at ensuring a fair trial. Mr Justice Frank Clark, who is the current Chief Justice, said the potential for unregulated social media to impact on the fairness of the trial process itself is a legitimate and particular concern of the judiciary. He said that social media can target the individual to the detriment of their reputation, health or even existence. He added that it it means any digital, text-based mass communication from a courtroom will be entrusted to those who sign up to ethical means of communication, to principles and codes of conduct, to those who know what can be said and when. Rosanna Cooney was one of the main courtroom reporters who tweeted last April during the Belfast rape trial. She was working for Joe.ie at the time and tweeted exactly what was happening in the courtrooms. At this trial, many people who were not reporters or were, quote, hobby reporters, led to the victim's name getting out, out into the public. At the Clairon Media Conference on Sunday, Rosanna was asked what she thinks about the public being banned from tweeting and texting in
2: court.
5: DCU's Raising and Giving Society had their annual boxing tournament in the right venue last night. The Society hold Rag Rumble annually in aid of their charitable social causes and it's their biggest fundraising event of the year. The event sees members of different societies battle against each other in the boxing ring as DCU students watch. Winners on the night included MPS's Kate Guerin and RAG's Connor Balf. Cahal O'Rourke and Dylan Mangan reported live from the event. My
6: name is and coming with you here to my left hand side we've got Dylan Mangan How we doing man? Ladies and gentlemen I am very very excited for this evening We have lots of great fights lined up Lots of people in blue, lots of people in red All going to be battling it out All in name of their chosen charities for tonight Big shout out to DC Rag for putting this event on And without further ado we're going to get our first fight underway Absolutely. Hayden Guy Mental Health Sox main man versus a big Shout out to Bank of Ireland as well for making this all possible for DCU Rag. Absolutely. Cole, have we anything to say about the first fight tonight? Guy and what Manion. an opener we have tonight. Hayden Guy of Mental Health Sox taking on Nathan Mannion of Drama, yet to enter the arena. So let's see. Two yeah, of large, go. large men, very tall boys. Vito Maloney Burke, our SU president, introducing Nathan Mannion. Here he comes, down from the left-hand side of the stage as you view it right now. Here tonight, you can hear all the, the atmosphere kids. is building and building and building. It's been building for the last hour, folks. I cannot contain my excitement for this event. Our first two fighters are currently in the ring. This is a big moment, people. This is Rag Rumble 20. The atmosphere is building and building and building. It's been building for the last hour, folks. I cannot contain my excitement for this event. Our first two fighters are currently in the ring. This is a big moment, people. This is Rag Rumble 2018, as it should be, as it's meant to be. Hayden Guy getting his prep talk from his coach right now. Nick Manuel will, in a couple of seconds, of course, be doing the same. We have our first ring girl of the evening entering the ring right now. Earl Daly, ladies and gentlemen. Isn't she lovely? (laughs) And let me tell you, from personal experience, being in these corners before you start your match, it is nerve-wracking. You can't contain, you just can't predict how the fight's going to go. These two guys are making their in-ring debuts. They do not know what is about to hit them. Call as a fighter, what would be going through your head right now? Right now, like, at the minute I entered the arena, like, I just found myself planning, what was my first move? What am I about to do to wow, to, to shock my opponent? The referee now making his calls, he separates the fighters. And our first fight is about to get underway, ladies and gentlemen. Rag Rumble 2018 kicked off by Mental Health Socks Hayden Guy and Drama sucks Nathan Mannion. About to make her entrance for the red corner. Two FPS members... Battling it out. Two best friends Call I would say. Battling it out. Sarah essentially fighting her protege tonight. And Kate and I believe, coming out to the Powerpuff Girls theme tune. I can see the MPS corner of the room going absolutely wild as Kate Curran enters the ring much like her opponent Sarah O'Dwyer not a looks, smile on her face not a smile to be seen neither fighter sporting a smile they are going into this Cole oh, I, I simply cannot sit down for this match I've got goosebumps Philip I have goosebumps I can't handle it myself and Cole are on our feet for the first time all night ladies and gentlemen we cannot contain our excitement only one point that could have done it Chris O'Shea tweets in at hashtag Ramble, 18. go on my angel of the north Sazanaz at DC Rag. And again, guys, getting involved in the conversation. Hashtag Rag Rumble 18. Ladies and gentlemen, this fight is about to tear us apart. Two best friends fighting for their chosen and charity Continue. one is on no the way. ladies and gentlemen, here we go. Sarah with the first punch. Just missing out. Just missing out. And right hand to the side of the face of Kate Gurren. Amazing performance. Sliding blow for blow. O'Dwyer with the height advantage on Gurren Gurren giving it everything she's got like a little terrier Right hands to the face galore And the girls need to get their hands up and defend So much connection with the face from Gurren O'Dwyer taking so many hits to the head And check out Gurren's uh, Check out her strategy of just getting really close to Sarah O'Dwyer Not allowing her to get those punches to the head and face Absolutely beautiful footwork from Gurren Dominating over O'Dwyer as we enter the opening round here O'Dwyer fighting back now. And current landing as many right hands onto the face and cheek as that she can. current backing O'Dwyer all the way all over the ring. The ref calls time in the middle. Both fighters easing into each other now. current with a hit to the face. And that That's is round the one, good, ladies and gentlemen. And didn't that fly in? And there appears to be damage to the nose of O'Dwyer. And hopefully she can't contain herself. She's been told in the corner to keep her chin up. So Gurren he- looks the less tired of the two. Blue Kane Faye walking her way through, trying to calm us down, but we can't contain our excitement. It's Rag Rumble 18. It's NPS versus NPS. We can't contain our excitement, folks. We are in for a treat tonight. One of the highlights of the evening, folks. This is not a fight you want to turn your eyes away from. Absolutely not. As we get ready for round two O'Twyer versus Gurren. Blue corner versus red corner. Who will be victorious? The ref wills the two into the middle. Get involved on social media, folks. Hashtag Rag Rumble 18. Gurren with the first punch of the round. Throwing rights at the face of O'Dwyer like it's nobody's business. Gurren commandeering that ring. It is her own as O'Dwyer is backed into the red corner. O'Dwyer struggling to keep her hands up. Throwing every blow that she can possibly throw. Another right to the face of Gurren. So much contact with the face from Gurren. Just throwing absolutely every jab she has at the open face of O'Dwyer. Tremendously matched between these two girls. I can't, I just can't pick a winner. Deal. For two girls who have never boxed before in their lives You can see the weeks of training they have put into this match Paying off in the second round of this match And again, Uttwire just taking punishment to the nose Throwing every blow that she can in return to Gurren They're really, really even on the strike count We need to see how the judges score this one It'll be interesting Gurren being so patient with her punches Waiting for the moment to blow Keeping her distance,
2: really what gathering a awareness A going fantastic,
6: fantastic punch Another right to the face. Another oh, right to the round face. two over, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, cake girl means business. I don't know how this is going to go. This is, as I said, tearing me and cottle apart. We don't know I've anything. got goosebumps, ladies and gentlemen. I just can't contain it. This is one of this the fights is... of the evening, ladies and gentlemen. Easily. of the century? The Maybe. We have Emily McNamara and Cal Commons in the middle of the ring. Of course, this event all orchestrated by Emily Mack herself. Teamwork Face it a it Dreamwork up. and it is brought to you by Bank of Ireland and Domino's Pizza keeping us going for the best event on the DCU Society calendar one final round Kate DCU Gurren versus Sarah O'Dwyer Gurren in red O'Dwyer in blue ladies and gentlemen I cannot O'Dwyer my my hands up. she means business a great block by Gurren and a definitive right hand two right hands to the face by Gurren so evenly matched ladies and gentlemen both ladies giving absolutely everything they have to this final round Gurren, Gurren pushing O'Dwyer back into her corner here Gurren's she's really winning this out. one off of the right hands Curran is landing every single right hand she can the jabs that O'Dwyer is throwing just aren't enough to decrease the stamina and the energy that Gurren possesses Gurren wants this fight as does O'Dwyer Ref willing the crowd on Two MPS PROs battling it out for their chosen charity. There are audience right against the barrier, ladies and gentlemen, so invested in this one. The MPS corner of the room can barely look as their two beloved committee members fight it out for the concluding moments of this round. Who will take on the victory, O'Dwyer or Gurren? There and that is it, is ladies and gentlemen. final bell of the match hammer and tongs, hell for letter. I don't know how they do it, ladies and gentlemen. What incredible performances from two rookies, two non-sports people, two new once. people to the game, making weeks of training completely worth it. I've said it once, I've said it again. Tune in.
1: And that was Cahal O'Rourke and Dylan Mangan's coverage of Kate Gurren and Sarah Dwyer's fight, who are two MPS members.
5: Lastly, we have our panel discussion on tweeting and texting in the courts and the recent This Is Not Consent rallies. So, what is everyone's thoughts on this? And firstly, do we agree that the public should be banned from tweeting and texting in court?
1: Firstly, I'll just say um, everyone is just me. <laughs> <Yes>.
5: <laughs> just Kira. <laughs> we
1: had uh, we had uh, a member of our panel, Dara Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, she actually had to leave, so just me and Anya today. But that's okay. That's oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I hundred mm-hmm. percent um think that um tweeting and texting should be banned in the courts. Um, the only thing is, um, from my research on the topic, there hasn't been much clarification on mm-hmm. like who exactly can tweet. Like I know yeah. they said, uh, what was it, bona fide journalists? Which I'm um, gonna what admit, constitutes a yeah, that's though. what I said. Like um, earlier on, we heard Rosanna Cooney talking about she was she was one of the like she was actually one of the first people. Um, or reporters uh, to tweet during the Belfast rape trial and her Mm -hmm. tweets weren't like her thoughts or anything she literally just tweeted what What was was happening happening, which people really like liked and you know they liked kind of the objectivity in that and, and stuff like that but anyway what she was saying was that you know what? What does constitute a bona fide journalist? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, do you have to work for an organization? Yeah. Like, what? Like, what actually do you have to be a are part of a the NUJ?
5: Are they going to screen certain organizations so that they're the only ones allowed to exactly. have reporters tweeting on uh, on these court cases? And
1: I mean, what does that mean for freelance journalists? Yeah, especially court reporters, because I know a lot of court reporters are freelance. freelance.
5: Yeah.
1: So, to be honest, I don't really know how they they will do that I mean maybe what they will do is that like if you want to report on a certain court case you have to you know be Mm pre-approved I suppose maybe that's the way they'll do it but um you know I think it needs to be clarified more in the media before you know people really well no we can say what we think on Mm -hmm. it but I do do think more clarification needs to be said on it and I completely agree that Members of the public shouldn't be allowed to no, text me, or tweet. Me too.
5: I think too many. You know, even with the Belfast rape trial, so many people actually identified the girl. Yes, exactly. Through, I um, wonder is that media. why this came out. I think um, they are kind of looking at that case as a defining moment, definitely, and um, to make these changes. But I, I still think it's kind of difficult, even just allowing journalists to tweet, because once something is tweeted it's out there and that's true even if it's if it's not objective it's still out there and everyone can see it so even if they are these kind of bona fide journalists there is still room for error so i don't yeah, think, it, definitely. I think it's a flawed idea
1: yeah i mean i suppose the problem with tweeting is is that like even though you know professional journalists do have that experience and do know Mm -hmm. what is defamatory and what isn't it's not going through anyone else whereas when you have you know your newspaper whatever goes through the editor and stuff Mm -hmm. but then you could argue that I mean with live radio and live television there's no room for error either so I mean I wouldn't necessarily say that um reading shouldn't be allowed mm. because there's room for error. But suppose I suppose, issue yeah. I suppose the difference is if, say, me and you here were on, you know, live radio, um, if we say something defamatory, it's not necessarily, like, from a court. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, I suppose we're probably not putting, I don't know, uh, like, putting someone at direct risk, mm-hmm. if that makes sense.
5: Um, I think... Any as it stands it's it's a good move in the sense that the public just can't put out there like live tweeting what's happening in the courts, yeah definitely basically. um I think it needs to go through more objective and rigorous processes than just allowing anyone to kind of tweet their thoughts on on the court case and what's going on
1: yeah because I think there is this this kind of community of people who actually just like their hobby is going to to court yeah absolutely to People cases who, um
5: don't have a lot of what <laughs>
1: else to do I know it's insane and I mean at the end of the day as well you don't know like who could be in that courtroom mm-hmm. like it, it could be someone who has something against the victim yeah. and like what this is their like their agenda vendetta like or whatever, whatever. Yeah. I don't know it's it's a hard one I mean definitely um you, as you said a good move um, it's good that they have looked at I mean we don't know if that's the reason why but I'm hoping that they did look at the Belfast rape trial mm-hmm. and say see what went what went wrong yeah. because a lot of people said that um it shouldn't have been in the media as much as it was yeah. and that if that trial was in the republic it wouldn't, wouldn't have, have been a, yeah we wouldn't all, yeah. have heard about it so I mean we are looking at that but then again I suppose this This law is coming in on the 24th of November in the Republic of Ireland. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, are they looking at a northern case and then saying what they need to change? Or because maybe it isn't really a direct reflection if it did happen up north, is it? Yeah,
5: I suppose they're probably just trying to develop the law as issues arise. They see this as an issue. It probably hasn't been kind of as much of a problem in the Republic as it was um, in the north during that trial but it's it's good that they are looking to law and see how they can develop it further and make positive changes I guess
1: yeah definitely Um, so yeah I think that it's definitely a good move but there needs to be more clarification mm-hmm. on you know what qualifies as a bona fide journalist yeah. um, but another topic obviously that has been huge in the news mm-hmm. over the past two weeks and uh, Dara actually uh, reported on it today is the trial in Cork so mm-hmm. very similar to the Belfast rape trial um, a woman uh, was allegedly allegedly raped when she was 17 down an alley and her underwear was used as evidence in Cork so I mean what really strikes me about this incident not about what obviously happened, which Mm -hmm. was um, horrific, but is the coverage has gotten all over the world.
5: Yeah, it really blew up. um, I think the Washington Post uh, published an article about it the other day saying um, uh, like a barrister held up a woman's underwear in court and Ireland exploded, basically, because everyone is very angry about this happening. I mean, it's ridiculous to kind of insinuate that underwear the type of underwear consent. someone's wearing is consent because we all know how easy it is to go into pennies and buy a pair yeah. of underwear for a euro that's um got some lace on it or something and you don't think in your head No, of course not. It's it's just it's very kind of a lot of people. And like I think
1: I think people have reason to be upset about it. And I think the agenda that needs to come out of it is that, you know, um the constitution needs to be looked at again. Yeah. And obviously they're doing that in, in at the moment with the tweets and stuff. But because at the moment in the Republic of Ireland it is legal to use someone's clothing as, as evidence. evidence. Yeah. Um and I know why that is there because mm-hmm. obviously for abuse and yeah. um, maybe stuff like that, you know, there could be blood on someone's clothes. Obviously yeah. it can be used for that. But I actually don't know like if it says why what and what it can't be used for. So what they need to do is obviously go into it and say that it can be used for certain cases and mm. not used for certain cases. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um but um a really really sad story that came out of this um only recently is that um a woman in Scotland um her name her name's Linda Armstrong. Sorry, her daughter is Lindsay Armstrong mm. and in 2002 um her daughter died by suicide after she was raped and her underwear was used in trial as well mm-hmm. um so this woman has just came out and said like how is this still happening like that happened yeah. to her daughter in 2002 so like 16 years ago and it's still it's nothing has changed
5: no i suppose it needs to go down to the core of um what we think is consent And what the law thinks is consent. Because if it's being allowed in the courts to use someone's underwear as um, to kind of make an argument to say that they consented to um, the like sex, basically, um, I think that is where the problem stems from in the first place. Yeah. So um, I think a lot of people were very upset that it was a woman barrister kind of making this argument. I know, I know. I don't know see
1: I was in a lecture there last week and the lecturer said you know it was actually a, a, a PR lecture mm-hmm. and um, he was saying like as horrible as it was that barrister only said that because that's her job to win the case to yeah. win the case mm-hmm. and I mean that's understandable but you know I think it's part of I a don't know wider issue, it like. is like do you know what I think? Do you know what the it as, as him saying that? I mean, it does bring up that the barrister was just doing a job and yeah. trying to win the case, even though I I still don't think that 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 right, should yeah. win the case and it wasn't the right move. However, it, you know the blame should be definitely on you know taking the legality of using that evidence mm-hmm. out of the constitution. Absolutely. Um, I think that's that that's what kind of comes out of that, and as well as you were saying earlier, is like you know what constitutes constitutes consent and what doesn't like as dara dara interviewed dr tracy harrington there earlier she's a Mm -hmm. lecturer in children's and general nursing in dcu and she uh was she controlled some of the consent workshops Mm -hmm. that were held in dcu so i mean she was just saying that you know this just this is just another one of hundreds of cases that brings up how consent is seen in ireland and how there isn't enough sex education in schools I think I think that's a really big
5: thing to take from this. That even it even stems down to primary school and the way you were taught sex education, and um, we were all discussing earlier how we don't think we were taught it very well. Definitely you're not. The, you know biological basics. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're not taught um, kind of the psychological effects of anything. Yeah. And you're not even what's taught right and wrong what it is. Like, no, not at all.
1: You're taught like you know, how a baby is made, like yeah. the biological, as you said, the biological side. But, like, you know, children need to be taught. I know, hopefully they are, like, it, this is coming out more, you yeah. know, as religion and state continues to kind of become separate in mm-hmm. Ireland. That, you know, sex isn't just for making children. No. You know, there's a lot more sides to it. And I think... um
5: how, like Tracy how H- yeah sorry how Tracy can Harrington we be a progressive society without teaching this from like the grassroots level yeah where definitely from when children are young and I just don't think we can consider ourselves a really liberal society without addressing this issue
1: definitely and like sorry as I was I was about to say was Tracy Harrington said as well earlier in the interview that you know in countries where sex education is talked about more there is there's like less STIs less unplanned pregnancies I mean nothing but good can come out of talking to teenagers about it and even you know older children I mean I was only saying the other day that like you know even even the words aren't even taught no. to children you know it's just such a taboo mm-hmm. subject and um, you know maybe it is changing but definitely when i was young you know it was such a taboo subject yeah, you know absolutely. Oh, you know it can't be talked about so i think you're right i think you know definitely there needs to be s- more sex ed mm-hmm. and more i mean consent needs to be taught yeah, from
5: uh, from a really young from age a really and young then age. it will ripple up through um through society definitely and into the law and we won't see these kind of cases where people like people are so traumatized basically by this even being considered you know, with the hashtag this is not consent trending I've even seen like murals painted across Dublin um, there's been so much yeah. around
1: hasn't there yeah I mean yesterday I don't know if you saw um there was a woman oh my god I can't oh yeah Leona O'Callaghan and she stood outside the Central Criminal Court in Dublin um completely in her underwear and she just had written all over herself this is not consent yeah. in protest and i mean there was so many people going up to her giving her hugs yeah i mean that wasn't the first there was a this is not consent rally in yeah. both dublin and cork last week mm-hmm. i mean the thousands and thousands of people talking out about it is crazy yeah it really is and like my i wonder this th- so there was a belfast rape trial last year and then there's this mm-hmm. um these are just two huge things that have happened in the space of a year what yeah. is going on have people just had enough or are we only hearing it really about is it is
5: that people have finally had enough you know these things have been going on for years and it just happens to be that these events have been highly publicized and have been in the public eye and so people have a platform to say like no this is not okay I'm not going to stand for this and that's exactly what people are doing they're yeah, rallying definitely. together to make sure that this is not going to continue
1: well yeah I, I, I definitely think you know consent has been a huge topic and unfortunately it it, it won't be the last time we talk about it here no. on where I don't think obviously um, we all love to report on it because it is just it's just so important and so mm-hmm. so relevant in Ireland at the moment um, but yeah I, I think that's all we have time for today so thanks for tuning in to Newswire today. I'm Anya O'Boyle. And I'm Kira O'Loughlin. Remember, you can always keep up to date with us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at DCUFM News. And welcome back to Newswire. I'm Kira O'Loughlin and I'm joined today by Efo O'Brien.
0: On today's show, we will be talking to Jim Miley, Director General of the Irish Universities Association, about the government's gender action plan in higher level education institutes. We will be reporting on the latest on Brexit and speaking about International Men's Day. Finally, we will have our panel discussion. But first, we have our hourly news bulletin. Good evening, it's six o'clock
1: and I'm Kira O'Loughlin. Aircraft manufacturer Bombardier is to cut 490 jobs in Northern Ireland. The Canadian firm said it had reviewed its manpower requirements at its base in Belfast and regretted to confirm that they must reduce their workforce. The plane and train maker announced earlier this month it planned to shed 5,000 jobs as part of a five-year plan to rein in costs and reduce debt. After five years in charge of the Ireland senior football team, Martin O'Neill and his coaching staff have parted company with the FAI as the result of an emergency meeting last night. The FAI confirmed the board will meet promptly to discuss the process of recruiting a new manager. Dundalk manager Stephen Kenny, former Republic boss Mick McCarthy and Steve Bruce have all all been mentioned as potential successors. O'Neill has spent the last five years in charge of Ireland along with his assistant manager Roy Keane but endured a tour in 2018 as Ireland were relegated from the Nations League B without winning a game and managed just one win in 11 games. Minister for Children Catherine Zappone announced to the Euroctus this morning that a full review of historical cases of allegations of abuse in Scouting, Ireland has found evidence of 71 alleged abusers and 108 victims between the 1960s and 1980s. Ms Zappone told the committee that she found the news, which she received verbally last night, devastating and extremely distressing. She said she would be listening carefully to the testimony from representatives of Scouting Ireland who were due to give evidence to the same committee later today. A White House review of Ivanka Trump's emails found she used her personal account up to 100 times last year to contact other Trump administration officials. Use of a personal account for government businesses potentially violates a law requiring preservation of all presidential records. President Trump repeatedly criticised his Democratic Democratic rival Hillary Clinton in the 2016 presidential election campaign over her use of personal email and private server while she was Secretary of State. The panel will investigate White House communications when Democrats take over the U.S. House of Representatives in January. And finally, Noel Edmonds has been unveiled as the 11th and latest campmate to join I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here. The 69-year-old deal or no deal presenter was confirmed as a contestant on ITV website last night and is set to join his campmates in the next number of days. That's all for now. Remember you can keep up to date with us on Facebook and Twitter at DCUFM News.
0: A new initiative has been introduced to tackle gender imbalance within professorships in Irish universities. The government will fund a project worth €6 million that allows for female-only candidates to apply for professorship in particular sectors. The initiative was announced last week by Minister for State on Higher Education, Mary Mitchell O'Connor. It aims to create up to 45 posts for female senior academics, with the first 15 posts projected to be in place by September 2019. The woman only professorships have been the subject of much debate over the past week as people question whether or not it is the best solution to eradicating gender imbalance in academia. As it currently stands, women make up 50% of university lectures, but only count for 24% of professors in Ireland. The plan recognises that certain sectors within Irish universities require extra measures to ensure adequate female representation among senior academics. Areas such as engineering and physics will see these female-only professorships proposed. I'm joined today by Jim Miley, Director-General of the Irish Universities Association that represents the seven Irish universities and higher education institutes. Thank you for joining us on Newswire today, Jim. So, the IUA have welcomed the introduction of female-only professorships. How do you expect this to positively affect gender balance in senior academia in Irish universities?
7: At the senior academic level with professorships, and that's obviously got to do with the long tenure, you know, people get into those positions and are there generally for life, so the turnover is quite slow, and the estimate is that if no positive action is taken, it it would be well into the 2040s uh, before we'd have any hope of reaching, uh, you know, a 40% plus uh, female uh, quota in to are almost 50 years old. Some of you may be getting grey hair before that would happen, um, and I think the analysis is that we can't wait that long. We've got to take some positive action. Um, and while I think you know people do argue that, that quotas and initiatives such as this uh, generate controversy, um, we support it as a temporary measure. You know, it, it won't be there forever, but it'll be done for a, you know hopefully a short number of years until we get representation levels up uh, to an acceptable level, and, and, and then, you know, normal practice applies.
0: How long does the IUA estimate that it will take to achieve gender balance within senior academia?
7: Well, the, the, the scheme has been launched initially for three years, as you've outlined in your introduction, 45 posts over three years, and, and uh, uh, these are permanent posts. Um I think what's important is a working group to be set up and the IUA and and, uh, universities will be represented on that group uh, to lay down the criteria for how this will be managed. And I think the first and primary criteria of that will be that these positions will only be filled uh, by by women who have the required academic standards to take up the post. And if, you know, if for whatever reason in particular situations, um, this certainly would be our view, if... Uh, suitable candidates couldn't be found, then the post shouldn't be filled. But I think we've no doubt that there are uh, women out there uh, to fill these posts. Uh, and I think as long as we underpin the academic quality standards uh, and the, the, the qualifications of the candidates, then I think this this can this can work very well. Um, uh, I, you know, I think with, with positive action like, like this, we can accelerate um, the proportion uh, of women in those senior academic positions. Um, and that means that we'll, you know, we'll get to some sort of reasonable gender balance a lot sooner than 2040. I'm 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 not sure what time frame, but, you know, hopefully by the mid-2020s or 2030, you know, we certainly would get there. The Minister has said by 2024, 2025, she wants to see... Um, the imbalance corrected. No, I think that's very ambitious, but hopefully we can move towards that.
0: So then, if suitable female candidates cannot be found, do you revert back to hiring male professors?
7: Well, this is—I mean—I think it's important to remember that this, these are extra professorships, and uh, to be targeted at areas where which have a particular problem uh, with gender balance. So it's not to say that. You know all professors appointed over the next three years would be female um there will also be the normal you know uh, cycle of appointments that will happen so these are specifically extra designated posts um and i think that's really important to remember because i think in some of the commentary that has been lost um but I think I think I have no doubt that uh, there are female candidates available uh, for these posts. But I think the the process about how how we search for them and how we appoint them. Um, uh, needs to change uh, in order to make sure we, we, we find them and that we provide the support in place uh, to have them appointed uh, to these positions. Uh, uh, and I think um, that does require a change of procedure and a change of practice in terms of the recruitment process and so on, and that's what needs to be looked at now. Um, I, I do think it's important to remember that in this report, Long Class Week, this was only one dimension of it. There are a whole raft of other recommendations, um, you know, about... Uh, changes in general to the recruitment process to make sure that in all cases there is a, a, a balance of of uh, gender and indeed um, uh, 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 the, uh, uh, in terms of g- general uh, equality and diversity that that balance is achieved um, there, so there are a whole range of measures there and um, The appointment of Vice President for Equality and Diversity across all higher education institutions is another one of the recommendations. That's that's been done in a number of universities already. Um, I think it's also important to recognize that you know all seven universities under the, uh, the represented by the IUA have already achieved a seen as Swan bronze status. that's kind of the, the international standard for gender diversity uh, and I think that's an indication of the kind of progress that's been made and indeed the governing authorities for five out of seven of the universities represented uh, by the IUA has now they've now got 40 percent plus um male gender balance on 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 those governing authorities and so a lot has been achieved uh, and i think that needs to be recognized as well
0: absolutely so when it comes to recruiting top class female academics to these professorships the initiative proposes that candidates will be headhunted by universities will this involve headhunting candidates from abroad or solely from other institutes within ireland i think it
7: well i think a working group is now being set up in fact it, it, you know it, it we'll be meeting shortly to just work out the, the detail and procedures around this uh, and we'll participate in that as i said earlier with with other interests um i would expect yes that that some of these candidates uh, may have to be targeted from abroad um you know i think we're, we're increasingly seeing that anyway um across higher education that you know talent is mobile um Um, Irish academics go and and work overseas and vice versa. Uh, I think that's actually good for our system because it brings in, you know, other kinds of experience, um, both cultural and and academic, into our institutions, which I think is very positive. So I would expect, yes, there there certainly will be uh, both domestic and international candidates uh, coming into these positions.
0: So just to finish up, some critics of the initiative have commented on the fact that the discrimination of men... Is being used to essentially create gender balance to create gender balance would you agree that it is discrimination to male academics looking to progress within their field of study well i suppose
7: the problem you know with this issue is as, 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 as a male commentating on it one, one you know one always feels um sensitive you know i, I think this is you know at, at, at its heart um uh, men need to recognise the challenges that women have faced in being uh, underrepresented. Uh, and, and, you know, there are historical reasons for that in in certain key positions. Um, uh, what's important about this scheme that's been announced is it's not discriminating against men in the overall sense, in that, you know, the other uh, positions that become available um, at the senior academic level um, to the normal cycle of retirement and so on, those will be filled in the normal way and open to both female and and male candidates. Um, uh, these forty five extra positions, fifteen per year over three years, are the female only positions. So I think in fairness, um you know it's not as if men are being excluded. Um, and I think, you know, as a man, I would say, If we are to correct this gender balance in a reasonable period of time, then we have to look at positive action measures such as this. Um, And and on that basis, that's the basis on which we are supporting it.
0: Okay. Thank you so much for joining us on Newswire this evening, Jim.
7: Thank you very much.
0: The Brexit draft withdrawal agreement has been heralded as a victory for Ireland, guaranteeing that there will be no hard border on the island. This will be achieved through the inclusion of a protocol covering the so-called backstop. If the deal is approved by the Houses of Parliament of the United Kingdom, it will remain in place until the end of the transition period, which is currently set for 31 December 2020. If at this point an EU-UK relationship agreement has not been signed, then the backstop comes into effect and the UK will remain part of a customs union. This has triggered the resignation of several British MPs. If the backstop comes into effect and Britain remain part of the customs union then their relationship between member states and the outside world has already been established. They are agreeing to charge the same import duties on goods entering the union and allow free trade between other member states. This would limit its ability to strike its own trade deals outside of the union. This differs to the single market agreement many British MPs have been hoping for where the UK would not face any tariffs or restrictions when trading with EU member states. This agreement would have allowed them to set their own import duties, giving them greater leverage in striking new trade deals with non-member states. However, it would also require them to allow for the free movement of people across EU countries, which the government are firmly opposed to. This means that if the UK accepts the current draft and do not improve upon the agreement before the end of the transition period, then they will remain subject to all of the trade requirements imposed by the EU and will only benefit in terms of being able to govern their migration laws. This has given rise to concerns that the common travel area, which covers protections for Irish and British people to work and travel in each other's countries and for access to healthcare, education and social welfare payments is not underpinned by a single legal agreement. The inclusion in the draft deal that the United Kingdom and Ireland continue to make arrangements between themselves relating to the movement of persons between their territories will allow for a new common travel area treaty to be negotiated post-Brexit. Essentially, the current draft deal poses no difficulties for Ireland and this will continue, continue indefinitely unless a better agreement is reached. However, if the UK Houses of Parliament do not approve the draft, they risk crashing out of the EU with no deal. While up until this point the UK policy UK policy of no surrender politics has ruled out the prospect of a second referendum, the unlikeliness of this draft being approved and their unwillingness to crash out of the EU means it may soon be the only viable solution. I spoke to DCU students to see how they feel about the prospect of Brexit, if they care and how they think it will affect them.
8: Uh, I don't think a lot of students care about Brexit, I am a calm student. I'm personally not very educated on Brexit, so I would say I have. If I'm not, if not, if I don't know about it, if I'm not educated on Brexit, why would I care? Um, I don't I think they know that like
2: much it. about it. <laughs> uh, I
3: think people who have an interest in
6: politics Wouldn't probably care. Yeah. I'd say probably people should care more because it'll have implications for Ireland. But I know I don't think Britain know what they're doing yet, so they probably
3: need to decide.
6: Oh yeah, it'd be fairly negative, yeah. but it's good that there's a delay on Brexit as it is that they're, they're basically trying to avoid it because if, if it, if it was to happen tomorrow, it would, to it. It would rise a lot of problems down. Um, I think if there's a hard border, it could have very bad implications for the country, but I'm not sure if that is likely or not. Um, and then I don't know if we'll agree our own trade deal with Britain. and um, probably be a good idea I don't know um, and then yeah I don't know hopefully everything stays like all chill and cool up north because that'd be a bad crack if that started again so yeah
8: oh yeah 100% I know enough that I know it's gonna have an effect I know it does have an effect right now but I still don't know a whole lot I should know more and I think it, it should be a duty of like maybe people's people's personal duty to actually go and educate themselves about Brexit if they want to go anywhere in life
3: um I think it'll definitely have an effect on us. I think we still don't know what's going to happen. I don't think it's going to have a massive effect on students, possibly students um, that might make maybe move to the UK to work and things like that. But I don't know if it's going to have a huge effect on students in general, but possibly that comes into the fact that I don't know a lot about it because I don't think that it affects me.
1: Monday the 19th of November marked International Men's Day. It is an annual event celebrated on this day every year. It was inaugurated in 1992 by Thomas Oster. It aims to bring awareness of the struggles and issues faced by men all over the world. A picture went viral all over the internet this International Men's Day, which said that 76% of suicides are by men, 85% of the homeless are men, and that men are on average 3.4% times more likely to be imprisoned than women when both committed the same crime. We asked DCU students, we asked students, of DCU if they think there should be an International Men's
0: Day. Do you think there should be an International Men's Day? Well, We have an
3: International Women's Day, so we should have an, an International Men's Day. It's only equality, isn't it? Because um, there's a lot of stigma and trouble surrounding men's
6: mental health, and I feel that it's something that we can't really sweep under the carpet
4: anymore.
5: I think I think we should have an International Men's Day. I think it's only really fair
8: keep everything 50/50 you know just split down the middle. If we've an International Women's Day, why not? Okay, we should have an International Men's Day because yeah, it's all well and good saying International Women's Day, woo women. But like sometimes there may be a question of is there too much emphasis on International Women's Day? <laughs> I'm a woman myself. I'm totally for women, totally for men. Great. But at the at the end of the day it's all about equality as everyone says. So why not be a men's day as well? I like, like, it's not, I don't think, I think in, what, 2018 now? I think it's still pretty even. Okay, maybe it was a time when it was awfully bad. Um, But I think it's, I think we're, we're getting to a stage where it's okay now, but we don't need to keep on preaching on about International Women's Day. Like, yes, we can have an International Women's Day, but, you know, you might as well have a Men's Day while you're at it as well.
5: I don't think it's any of any benefit. Like, it doesn't really, I don't really care, to be honest. Oh, well, maybe it highlights some issues, but I don't think it's, like... They aren't really highlighted, if you know what I mean. I mean, I, I didn't know the thing, to be honest. I mean, I, knew, I know what International Women's Day is. And like, you know you hear a lot of hype about it, but if people are going to do it, I suppose, like, you may as well do it right rather than just do it the way it's done at the moment.
3: Well, International Women's Day, everyone knows about it, so it's only fair that men have one as well, if we're on about equality.
2: Yeah, I think there should be an International Men's Day as I think their issues should be highlighted more, and this is a chance for it. And they need more recognition for things for issues like mental health, suicide, all that, and I think it's good. Yes, I do. I think we have a women's day, so I don't see a reason for not having a men's day. Um, you know, men have a lot of issues that are not recognised in society. Um, one of them is, of course, suicide is um, the leading killer against young men. I think men under 30, if I'm right. So, you know, they have problems and issues that should be recognised as well. Um, more, I think the majority of their issues are mental health problems and encourage men to talk about their difficulties and their issues.
1: Brexit draft withdrawal deal has been a hugely controversial topic over the past number of days. So Aoife, what's the general consensus on all this?
0: I mean, if we look to Britain, we've seen 26 Tory rebels write letters to Theresa May opposing the draft deal. And you have to question, its they they've kindly f- they've finally come to the realisation that they can't have their cake and eat it too. So the current draft is proposing that with the backstop, at least until the end of the transition period, and if they don't come up with something better, it will continue indefinitely, that the UK stay within the customs union and leave the single market. Now, the whole way along, the UK have been proposing that they want to leave the EU to have greater control over their trade. They want to start negotiating deals with other non-EU countries. They want to improve their business sector make more money basically. On the other hand, they also want to have control over their border. They don't want this free movement of people. And that's where they've come into conflict. They have had this idea in their head that they can have both, but the customs union allows them to have control over their borders. The single market allows them to have control over their trade. At the minute, they've gone with the customs union. It's given them control over their borders. It's what the people have asked for, basically. But politicians and their right mind, they know it comes to the budget. They need taxes coming in. They know that they're not getting the deal that they wanted. Yeah, I don't think that deal was ever a possibility. They seem to think they had an awful lot more leverage against the EU than they have. But over 40% of UK exports go into EU countries. That's nearly half of their exports. And if they are that reliant on the EU, the EU were holding a huge amount of power over them. Theresa May has realised this. And obviously the issue with the border has made it a lot more difficult for them. Under the initial draft that was proposed, in the case of a backstop, only the north of Ireland, the six counties, would have remained in the customs union. But this was also non-negotiable for the, for the UK. They didn't want the EU to have more power over part of their kind of domain, I guess, yep. than they had. And if a different set of rules were to apply to the north of Ireland than the rest of the UK, that would create a huge amount of issues. The UK would have no power to veto issues in the EU Parliament when it would come to trade laws or import duties or anything like that. But as it currently stands, I mean, they've had 26 letters written. They need 48 for a vote of no confidence and to have a leadership contested. They're a nice way along. And it is is definitely a possibility. Even if her leadership isn't contested, the draft deal still has to go through both the House of Commons and the House of Lords in the UK before it can be agreed upon that means that they need 320 votes in the Houses of Parliament for this to pass. She's guaranteed probably upwards of maybe 200 of them with loyalty to the party, with her own own party. But an extra 100 votes is a lot to ask of the party whips to kind of come up with. If it doesn't go through, she has roughly a month to come up with a new deal, or she goes back to negotiating with the EU, and we reach ever closer to the 29th of March when they're expected to leave. And
1: what exactly? So, I- I- if this, so if this draft is proposed in May, is it or if it's rejected in
0: May? If it no, it will be put to the House uh, House of Parliament within the next couple of weeks. They are to break for Christmas kind of midway through okay. december it is to go to the house of parliament before then okay um if it's rejected there is a month there to come up with a new draft deal okay but that would kind of require parliament to be recalled from christmas break early i don't know how possible that is but if it is rejected and they don't come up with a new draft deal if may doesn't come up with a new draft deal that the eu approve they go back to negotiations in Brussels, Okay. and they have until the 29th of March to propose something that both the EU and Brussels, that Ireland in terms of the border, and that both UK Houses of Parliament agree upon. If not, they crash out without a deal.
1: And they, could this potentially see a second referendum?
0: It's hard to know. May has been very against this in the past. But... As it currently stands... I mean,
1: it's kind of obvious why she's going to be against it, but...
0: As it currently stands, it seems like it is the only viable solution. But the, the UK will end up no better off either way. If we have a second referendum and they vote to stay in the EU, they have no control over the migration. So they still have the free movement of people. The current proposal, as I see it, they have to stay in the customs union. They have to kind of agree to import duties on trade. They have to agree to a level playing field so that they can't undercut the selling within the EU market. All of this will still be required of them if they hold another referendum and decide not to leave the EU only without the free movement of people. And in that line, it's understandable why May has been against leaving the EU or against holding yeah, another, yeah, yeah. another referendum, referendum sorry yeah. but at the same time they can't keep going through parliament with these proposed draft deals keep going back to negotiations yeah. in Brussels
1: but do you think it's fair like do you not do you think it would be the fairest thing to do because a lot of people I mean I think uh, voted in the referendum the first time um, to leave the EU without actually even understanding what it meant absolutely i
0: mean the spike in google searches for what is the eu the day after the referendum yeah. went through and as it currently stands this transition period will run until the 31st of december 2020 so we still have another 2 years almost on this transition period and during that time the free movement of people can still happen yeah so anyone that wants to go to the go to the uk Can go there they can take up residency people know that this is happening and while they have already put limits on non-EU members coming into their country they can't do anything about EU members kind of moving to and fro at the moment and if they're going to be there anyway anyone that wants to take up residency in the UK knows that they can go there now a lot of the opposite has happened a lot of people are leaving the UK and I think that's something they definitely have to consider if the current deal goes ahead they are getting control of their border we will not be able Ireland can negotiate their own common travel area yeah. which is fantastic for us but if you were to live in France then you can no longer just yeah I was actually
1: about to ask um what what is the plan for the What is the train called again? The train that goes from London to Paris? I don't know, actually. You know, that that was one of the big questions, um, you know, uh, when the first referendum happened. But I actually haven't heard anything on it. I mean, we've heard all this about, obviously, the Northern Irish border. But, yeah, surely... there was
0: three stages for this draft to be approved. There was the EU-Ireland the UK,
1: yeah. there was nothing about
0: France in there. Yeah,
1: I I suppose maybe they'll just treat it as in an airport, will they?
2: Quite possibly.
1: And then you'll just have your passport. I mean, I know you have to do that, they have to do that anyway, but it, it is still different to you know, say Gatwick Airport or whatever, where you have all that security, and you have, you know, it is still a bit different. But I suppose maybe it's not really at the top of their priority list at the moment. But
0: there would be laws also underpinning this sort of thing, like it, yeah. it kind of works the same as a ferry or
1: yeah, true train, actually. Whereas
0: yeah. with the current Common Travel Area agreement in Ireland, obviously you have that if we were to go from Dublin to London. But if you were to cross the two meters either side of the border that's not currently in place and i think that's where that's where ireland came into focus an awful lot more there are no laws underpinning our current common travel area agreement and that's one of the things that has been brought up in the past two weeks or so that another treaty may have to be formed to cement this in place if the current brexit draft deal is to be approved
1: okay and what like I mean, I think there are a lot of students who who don't, you know, I mean, who does fully understand Brexit. But from the Vox Pop there earlier where you asked students, you know, do do you know what's going on? Most of them said no, and most of them said that, you know, they don't feel they need to know. What would you say, like, does affect Irish students about Brexit? I mean, obviously, we still don't know exactly what's happening, but... If this, if this draft goes through and there isn't a second referendum
0: if this draft goes through if they do not come up with a better deal between now and December 31st 2020 then it will have almost a negligible effect on anyone in the country because the EU or the UK are still having to conform to EU standards on trade okay. and uh, and Even in goods that they produce, the EU standards will still apply. There has been um, negotiations with America over production of chlorine and use of chlorine in different chemicals that if the UK were to be in a single market rather than the customs union, they could rectify this and they could have leverage over this new trade deal with the US but they are still having to conform to all of the EU standards. Okay. All the UK are really getting out of this at the minute is control over their borders. That is it. That is literally the only leverage May has to get this through her parliament right. at the minute. So for us, it is the best possible deal that the EU could have come up with.
1: Great. Right. Um, yeah, I think I think that's kind of it for our discussion. On Brexit, I mean, I'm sure Eva could go on about it. I definitely can't go on about it. Need to do a uh, need to do a bit more research on that. But I mean, we do have our expert in here with us today. Thanks so much, Eva.
0: I mean, you're <laughs> in the position of most of the students I spoke to.
1: Definitely. I mean, I think I it's think
0: definitely quite worrying. It yeah. is quite a complex topic, but it definitely needs to be brought down to a level that people can understand. A hundred percent.
1: I think I think that's it. And I really do think your piece today, you know, was uh, a great a great way for students to learn more about Brexit so um, stay tuned to Newswire to hear uh, (laughs) Aoife update you in the coming weeks on uh, this draft. So the next topic that um, we just wanted to discuss today because it was on Monday is International Men's Day. So we talked to students, uh, myself and Aoife both did, about their thoughts on International Men's Day and if they think it should be a thing and I think we're all, all the results, uh, yes.
0: Almost. I did have one or two that didn't know it had been on Monday. Thought oh, okay. Was very, thought there was very little publicising of it. Yeah, that it got I'd very little with that. coverage. Yeah. And because it got so little coverage, there was one particular student that I talked to, a man himself, that thought, well, if there's no coverage over it, what benefit are we getting out of it?
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean... I don't know what... Well, no, I do know what to think of it. I do agree that, should be that there should be an International Men's Day because, you know, the kind of... The big topic around this is um, mental health and talking about men's mental health because it is something that um, a lot of men don't talk about. And, you know, the suicide rate for men is much higher than women. Um, but do I necessarily think there needs to be a day
0: for us? One thing I thought I was don't quite know. interesting... Was that Universal Children's Day fell the day after it fell yesterday?
1: And oh, I didn't even know I, that. I
0: thought there was no coverage on that. No. And that could be taken as quite a celebration. If you took the whole lot of that together, you've a day celebrating men and children, young preteens, kind of, they are suffering a lot in this yeah. area of mental health. And had the whole thing been grouped together and had there been a proper marketing strategy in place i think it could have a huge positive effect yeah. on people
1: or what about just like a mental health day that's already a thing though isn't world it mental day world is mental a thing. health day
0: i suppose international women's day kind of started off a lot with promoting feminism and yeah equality and well then we had a huge spike in men's suffering in mental health yeah and i don't think it's gotten as much coverage because there mightn't be as much of an imbalance in areas that it's easy to define it in. But women are allowed to be emotive. We're allowed to get upset yeah, in the that's workplace. True. If children get sick, we're allowed to leave work to pick them up from school. Yeah. Men aren't granted a lot of that same leverage. And so we have this international men's say that we're saying is here to promote men's mental health we're not allowing them to express their mental health yeah. in society in general and whereas females have been able to kind of intertwine their positive mental health day with how it's affected them in work and in society with toxic masculinity men haven't been able to do the same with theirs as of yet yeah
1: that's true i think as well um one thing that isn't really talked about when it comes to men is like parental leave as well. I know Leo Vradker was saying that well, hasn't it sorry, I I'm getting this mixed up now. It's already came in that men can have two weeks off. Yeah. Um but there's they want to do more, isn't that it?
0: There are certain countries out there where men and women have the same amount of parental leave. So possibly the woman takes the first three months and then the father will take the second three months. Where it's very equal. I don't know. I think in this country that the amount of parental leave that we grant to people is huge. Yeah. I mean, you go to the United States and you get six weeks. Crazy, isn't it? It's it's a whole other world. But I don't know what the market out there is for men actually wanting that same amount of parental leave.
1: I know, yeah. Like, I suppose... I suppose, like everything, it's just that it's an option, isn't it?
0: It is that it's an option. And I suppose because it hasn't been for so long, there there's that thing as well of people not wanting to step out of line and be like, well, I really want to be at home. Because, again, we are judging men on having these same emotions as women. We're all human. We should yeah. all feel the same things. But, well, that fellow over there wants to spend the next three months at home with his toddler.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's true.
0: It's not seen as... The traditional masculine role of being the breadwinner, and it's definitely an issue.
1: Definitely, and I think I think as well, like, you know, in all these in all these issues where we talk about gender and gender imbalances, there there is still people who are like, yeah, but your sex does come into certain things, which it does. 100%. I mean, you know, the woman does give birth to the child, a woman breastfeeds. You know, there's just no denying that there is motherly instincts and that kind of stuff. So you'll have people argue, well, yeah, well, it is technically the mother's job and that kind of thing, you know. So I suppose there is just this huge, you know, it's just so hard to define. And I think that, you know, just every family is different, I suppose. like We're getting off the topic now. But
0: one thing that definitely comes into it, though, like last year there was a huge amount of talk around interviews for positions in different workplaces and what you are and are not allowed to ask women that you shouldn't ask what they have in family if they're planning to have family and if those sort of questions are off limits for women well then the same should apply to men when it comes to the child actually being present yeah if we're not allowed to ask well are you planning on having family then when it comes to the needing of parental leave well it is a joint partnership
1: definitely um yeah so that was just um we just had a bit of a discussion there about the latest on brexit and international men's day i think for international men's day um yeah i think it should definitely keep being a thing um just more more coverage needs to be done on it actually talking about brexit and international men's day Um, Theresa May was the first British Prime Minister to acknowledge International I keep saying International International Men's Day Fantastic, (laughs) something uh, to add to her
2: credentials
0: Something there, well done Theresa (laughs) Okay so thank you all for tuning in to Newswire today I'm Aoife O'Brien And I'm Ciara
1: O'Loughlin Remember you can always keep up to date with us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at DCUFM News and we will be live again next Tuesday at 6pm